When I was a senior in high school, growing up in the Silicon Valley of California, my youth pastor had an idea for our spring break. He said, hey, let's go on a mission trip to Mexico. I thought, that's a terrible idea. I mean, my plan was, being from California in the Bay Area, I was going to spend half the week at Lake Tahoe going skiing, and then the other half of spring break going to the beach in Santa Cruz. What else would you do during spring break? Okay, ready to go? But then there was this uh, blonde girl named Lisa Danielson. And she raised her hand and said, I'd like to go on a mission trip to Mexico. And I felt the spirit of the Lord overcome me at that moment. And I signed up to go on a mission trip to Mexico. And so we got into a bus, our church bus, and we drove all the way down to Tijuana. We went up this hill and there was a group of pink buildings. Every building painted a bright pink. And it was actually called the Pink Orphanage of Tijuana. And it was a boys' orphanage of all things. Seventy boys living in pink buildings. About four or five adults helping out these 60 to 70 boys. I remember going in there and some the kids wanted to piggyback rides, want me to carry them and play with them, but their shirts were kind of torn up and and they weren't the cleanest kids in the world and it kind of smelled around there and sometimes their hair was dirty. I decided, nah, I didn't really want to play with them. And so as my friends went and played with the kids, I went into the cafeteria to find out, well, what are we going to have for lunch today? And they said, we're going to have rice, beans, and tortillas. Okay, great. What are we planning to have for dinner tonight? We're going to have rice, beans, and tortillas. And breakfast tomorrow, rice, beans, and tortillas. Maybe some tuna sometime. thought, wow, how could you just eat that? Eat that every, every day. I remember um, that night trying to go to sleep. Um, we slept in a room. I slept on the floor, and there were bunk beds all around me. The kids were sleeping in bunk beds, sleeping on the floor in a sleeping bag. And one thing I learned about Tijuana, Mexico, there's about two and a half million people there, but there are about eight and a half million dogs in Tijuana. So all night, all you could hear were dogs doing dog things. And then groups How could you sleep with all that dog noise? And then, if, if you don't hear the dogs, you have roosters that really have no time, have idea what time it really is. So at one in the morning, and two in the morning, and three in the morning, okay? Well then, if you don't hear the dogs, and you don't hear the roosters, I was listening, and there were these clicky noises going around the floor near me. I'm like, what is that? I had a flashlight, and looked around, and the floor was covered with these huge cockroaches just running and scattering all over the place. And I, I could feel things on my leg, on my arm, like, oh my, this is terrible. I didn't sleep all night long. So the next day, I remember sitting on these stairs and watching the rest of my friends playing with the kids, and, and I couldn't do anything. I mean, even in that place when you wanted to go to the bathroom, I went upstairs and I wanted to use the bathroom, and, and the toilets weren't working, but the kids were still using the toilet. So I opened the lid, I'm like, ah, you know, with a terrible sight in there. And they did have outhouses in the back, 
But the outhouses were pretty old, so where you sat and where it went splat was pretty close together. And some friends of mine, Scott and Alan, decided to find out, because we'd never seen outhouses before, what happens when you stir in one of those, you know? So they got a big stick, they found a broom handle, and they were stirring and stirring. Now, this is legendary in our youth group. We wonder what happened. We believe a gas bubble formed of some nature. Because when they were in there, the gas bubble must have popped. Because they came running out screaming, ah! with brown stuff all over their face. I thought, what is this? I've never seen a place like this. I grew up down the street from Apple, you know? I didn't even know like things like this exist in the world. And it froze me. I sat on those stairs for hours and I was frozen. My youth pastor noticed I wasn't doing anything. So he said, you know what? We're actually leaving today and going to another children's home in Ensenada. So I got in in the truck and, and we drove down and it was a nicer place. There was a creek and a hill and there were oak trees. And okay, I'm feeling better about this. And we set up the tents for the rest of the group. And I waited for everyone to get back. And, and you know, when I'm depressed, I like to eat. And this little girl, fourth grader named Shelly Mitchell Canal, said made me some cookies. And me being a very unselfish high schooler, I had actually found a secret compartment in the bus where I could hide my cookies. No one else would find them. And I could have them whenever I wanted. So when the bus came with the rest of the youth group, I went into the bus and I opened my secret compartment. Somebody ate my cookies. I was so mad. I ran out of the bus. Everyone was standing around this campfire worshiping the Lord. I start yelling at my youth group, just yelling and yelling. And I remember running around this kind of little corner where there was a little hill. And I started to cry. As an 18-year-old boy, I was crying. I was weeping for an hour. I couldn't stop weeping. It's because for the first time I realized I had never, even though I grew up as a believer in Jesus, I had never truly done anything for anyone else, ever. You know, we have mission teams. I organize mission teams that go all around the world for the Covenant Church. And mission teams call me up and and I kind of wonder why they want to go. A lot of them call me up a lot of them. And they say, we would like to go on a mission trip experience. Now, I always wonder about that word experience. When you want to go on a mission trip and you use the word experience in there, you kind of wonder, who is that trip for? Is it really for someone else or is it for the person who's going? I want to go on an experience. I know some mission teams want to go because they want to go on an adventure, really. In fact, there's mission trip junkies these days. You know, the person who goes on a mission trip, let's go, I'm going to go to India this year, and then later this year, I'm going to go another time, I'm going to go to Japan, and then I think I'll go to Sweden, and then I'm going to go to Africa, and then I'm going to, you know, and they're kind of like, let's go, and then other people pay for it. Yeah. Some people go because they want a spiritual experience. I think this will bring me closer to the Lord. And so they go more like a retreat. Let's go on a retreat. And then we'll use all the other people. They're kind of our zoo animal background, and we'll have our spiritual retreat. And I think a lot of people go because they feel guilty. I have so much, and because I feel so guilty to relieve some of the guilt, I'm going to go on a mission trip. What if Jesus had come to earth because of these reasons? 
What if Jesus had come because he wanted a mission experience? Hey, God, Father, I, I'd like to go to earth on a, a mission experience. Sure, son, go ahead. So Jesus comes down, and it's a great experience for a while. He's healing people. He's feeding people. People are listening to him preach. People are responding. They're all excited. What a great experience this is for Jesus. And then God says, son, and now I need you to give your life and die for the sins of the world. Jesus might say, that's not a very good experience. I'm out of here. Forget it. What if Jesus had come because he wanted an experience? I believe in something called the pickaxe principle. Okay? The pickaxe principle to me illustrates what is the proper motivation for why we serve. Why do we serve? Now, a lot of times we talk about worship, but we don't talk about service as part of worship. But I believe when we serve, it's actually a form of worship. Now, all the time when we were, you know, we talk, oh, I'm going to go to worship service. Okay, so we've got great instruments, and man, we rocked on that first song. That was awesome. Okay, that's worship, praying, worship, listening to, you know, Scott preach and preach and preach. That's worship, right? That's worship. But you know what? A, pa- a pickaxe is a great instrument of worship. I went to the Mid-South because I'm in the Mid-South Conference, and I, we had a speaker once, and he said, you know what? We, God wants you to worship him 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I thought, that's kind of much, you know, that's a lot. How do you do that? And he said, you know what? It's because we are to sing and to pray and to read scripture and serve him all the time. And that's how you worship God. And he said, because service, because worship, sorry, worship is a response to the greatness and majesty and goodness and mercy and grace of God. That's why we worship. That's why we worship. It's a response to how incredible God is. And so when we serve, it's actually because we're responding to the greatness and the goodness and the mercy and the grace and awesomeness of God. That is why we are motivated to serve. And he said that service and worship are really one and the same. Now, I didn't totally believe him. And since I'm a covenanter, where is it written? And so I decided to look. Now, I found out in the Old Testament, I'm not really a Hebrew scholar. Yeah, I went to North Park Seminary, but I don't remember Hebrew very much. And so, but I learned that the word in Hebrew, I think it's pronounced something like ebed, is the word that's used for worship, for singing and song and psalms and prayer. That word is used. And then guess what word is used for serving people and serving the community? It's the same exact word in Hebrew. It's the same word. So every time in the Old Testament when it says worship, it can also mean service. They are the same word in Hebrew. As for me and my house, we will serve slash Worship the Lord. It's the same word. I thought that's pretty good. And then I read Isaiah chapter 6. Have you read this recently? What a great chapter. Verse 1. 
Isaiah says, it was in the year King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Big robe. And attending him were mighty seraphim, and each having six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet. With two they flew, and they were calling out to each other. Can you imagine this? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And they did that over and over again. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations. And the entire building was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me. I am doomed. I am a sinful man. I have filthy lips. And I live among a people with, un, with filthy lips. And I have seen the king, the Lord of heaven's armies. So one of the seraphim with a burning coal or went to, um, to a little altar with a burning coal and with a pair of tongs. You know, it's like the heavenly barbecue or something. And went with tongs. And he, and he brought those to my lips And he touched my lips and then he said, see, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. Can you imagine being Isaiah and seeing all that? Seeing God sitting on his throne, the robe covering the whole temple. Holy, 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 the Lord God Almighty, these these incredible creatures, these angel creatures saying that over and over, smoke filling the entire temple and then feeling so little horrible, I shouldn't be there. I am doomed. I am doomed. And God forgives me and takes my sin away. And then God says, hmm, Then one of, let's see, where is that? Then I heard the Lord asking this. Whom should I send as a messenger to the people? Who will go for us? Now, after you saw all of that, what would you say? I sure hope someone signs up. <laughs> I can think of some good people in my church that should sign up for that. That would be good. Oh, you know, oh they're very gifted. Yes. Anybody? Anybody? Is that what you would do? What did Isaiah do? Me, 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 me. Oh, me, please. Please send me. Please send me. Because after he saw the greatness and the majesty and the awesomeness of God, and he received his amazing salvation, his forgiveness and grace and mercy, he just, me, please send me. That's why we serve. Because of the awesomeness and greatness of God and the mercy that he has given to us. We look in the New Testament and see about these words. And there's a word called liturgy. Have you ever heard of that? Liturgia. We think of that about worship. But the word liturgia in in Greek also meant giving service to the government for free. How interesting that liturgy, what we use for worship and the order of worship in Roman days was also used for serving in the community for free. Hmm, worship and service intertwined. But the really good one is Latria. That one is used as worship 
in the New Testament in Greek and also as service. Same thing as the word ebed in Old Testament. They're interchangeable, interchangeable. And so we go to our scripture for today, Romans chapter 11, that we already read. And it talks about the disobedience of Israel. It talks about the disobedience of the Gentiles. It talks about all of our disobedience that God allows us to have. And then what does God say? What is written over and over? What does the Apostle Paul say that we, this happens so that they will receive mercy, that we will receive mercy, that there will be mercy on all people, all of us receiving We didn't earn it. We didn't work for it. But God works it all out so that we can receive his forgiveness and his grace. And so after Paul, you know, I think Paul had a guy writing stuff down for him sometimes. I think Paul was just thinking about how incredible God was. So he's thinking, wow, God allowed us to be disobedient so that we could receive God's forgiveness and mercy. And Israel was disobedient so that they could receive God's incredible mercy. And wow, we have all the, the opportunity to receive the mercy and forgiveness of God. And then I think he's pacing back and forth. And he goes, because I think he was a hyper guy, kind of like people I know, and going back and forth. And then he starts breaking out into song. And he says, oh, how great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge. How impossible it is for us to understand his decisions and his ways. God is so incredible and awesome, it's hard to comprehend him. For who can know God's thoughts? And who knows enough to give him advice? And who has given him so much that he needs to pay it back? For everything comes from him and exists in his power and is through him and is to him. And he ends with all glory to God. Amen. And that's all a response to God's incredible mercy on us. He breaks out into song. Then he goes to chapter 12, verse 1. And we know that when it says, therefore, you have to pay attention. Because as a result of the greatness and majesty and mercy and forgiveness of God, this is what God wants us to do. So Paul writes in chapter 12, verse 1. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you, give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let your body be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the key to worship. As a result of the mercy and forgiveness and grace and majesty and awesomeness of God, we give our bodies to him. And in doing that and in serving, we are worshiping the Lord. Why do we serve? It's as a response to the greatness and mercy and love of God. That's our motivation. Now, I've been doing this now for 23 years. And if I was doing this ministry for the experience, 
I wouldn't have done it for 23 years. In fact, once I remember a long time ago, we were setting up uh, tents in this kind of, it was a lot of grass there, and we were setting up tents, and and I'm really afraid of spiders and bugs and things. And so I really wanted to set my tent up really fast. So I set it up really fast. I threw my luggage in. I jumped in and zipped it up as fast as I could. Slept all night very peacefully. Next morning, my, my head's on my pillow like this. And as I open my eyes in the early morning, I notice there's a black thing out of my pillow, a big black thing on my pillow. And as I focused, it was a big black tarantula was on my pillow right next to my nose. Now, spiders are my greatest fear in life. And so at that moment, I don't know, it's kind of like a cartoon thing. I was able to whoop right out of my sleeping bag, jump, you know. And I remember hitting the top of my tent and then coming down and landing. Well, the tarantula got scared by me moving so fast. So it jumped and it hit the top of the tent. And then it sat there. And I looked at it, and it looked at me, and then I took my shoe and squished it. But it was a terrible, terrible moment for me. Terrible. And if I was doing this as an experience, I would have been out of there. Or the time I was in China for a while, and I remember one of the last nights, the uh, uh, students from China wanted to take me out to eat at a restaurant that didn't have any English menus. I mean, I was like, well, I don't know what to order. So one guy said, how about some bamboo rice? And I'm like, bamboo rice? Okay, bamboo's decent and rice I love, so good, bamboo rice. But out came a big piece of meat. It was big. And it was all chopped up and had lots of little bones. I'm like, what is this? It doesn't look like bamboo rice to me. And he goes, yes, it's rice, you know, like a mouse. Oh, bamboo rat. Oh, that's what we're eating tonight, okay? Or the time I was in a, in a pastor's house, um, I stayed there, and, and I remember... Um, he had a dog in the house all the time. And um, that night I was laying on this bunk bed and I remember feeling like really itchy. Well, I was, you know, and like things were biting me. And I took a flash. I couldn't really see too much, but I figured out that the bed I was sleeping in was just full of fleas, like a zillion fleas. And I was like, I'll bit and all night long. I scratched. It was terrible. Next morning I got up and I went and there were bumps all over my body. Oh, it's terrible. And then you know, we got a marker and like connected the dots. There was Abraham Lincoln. I mean, it was amazing, all the dots. And, and then, so what I did was there was a big Walmart in town, and I actually went and I bought four of those dog flea collars, and I put um, two, one around each wrist and around my ankles, and I got some stuff that you can only buy in Mexico. It's got like a skull and crossbones thing for pesticide, and I sprayed like crazy on that bed. I slept great that night, but... If I would be doing all this just because I wanted an experience, I would not have lasted for 23 years for sure. And so, in order to put the pickaxe principle into place here, what are some suggestions? I have some. One is, um, you might want to go, does your church have retreats once in a while and things like that? Or are there retreats in the Central Conference that people can go on? Aren't there women's things like quench, etc.? I mean, wouldn't it be great to go on some of these events and say, God, my goal during this time is to adore you with all my heart and then let you change my life so when I come back, I'll be different. Because I just want to spend time adoring you. Man, God will do amazing things. What, another one is, what if you come into church? I know you guys love coming in late. I was asking, does anybody come to this church? And it, yeah, five to ten minutes late. And then, um, 
But what if people start coming a little earlier? Just a suggestion. What if you came in here and actually spent some time kind of praying, reflecting, preparing yourself for the worship, and, and just asking him, Lord, how would you, what do you want to do to speak to me this morning? And, and what if you got up every morning and you said, God, I would like to serve you today, but to be honest, I'm not really, I don't have a plan. And I'm not really sure what to do, but Lord, could you give me an opportunity to serve you today? What do you think God would do with that prayer? (laughs) Yeah, here's 53, pick one. Another one, how about making yourself available to serve? What if we decided to be a little less busy? Wouldn't that be crazy? What if we weren't so scheduled? And we left a little bit of time, and it didn't have to be planned, and we said, God, I've set aside some time. It might be 30 minutes a day, it might be 10 minutes a day, it might be a day a month, it might even be a week a year, and say, God, I'm going to serve you that week. I don't know what the plan is, but lead me and allow me to serve. What if we were available? What if we were aware of all the opportunities around us? There's a lot of opportunities around us, but a lot of times we don't even notice. I remember one time I spoke at a church in Minnesota and afterwards there was a, um, like a, a, a lunch. And then when the lunch was over, I noticed that none of the people were helping to clean up the lunch except for two of probably the oldest guys in the church. They were there picking up chairs and moving tables and they were having to like kind of move the 30 and 20 and 40 year olds out of the way so they could get all the stuff done because that room had to be used. And I noticed no one until the pastor started helping out and then I thought, well, I'm going to start helping out. And pretty much everyone was just, it wasn't that people were mean, they just didn't notice. How about if we're just aware How about if we send initiative? How about some initiative? Like, what if there's an announcement in the morning and they say, hey, we could really use help with the children or whatever. What if everyone in this church stood up, send me, send me, and then they have to pick. Wouldn't that be a crazy Sunday? Wow. What if we figure out our spiritual gifts? What if we spend some time figuring out what God has gifted us with And then figuring out, saying, you know, Scott, how how can I use these gifts? I've got this gift. I've never really utilized it. Is what, what, do you have any ideas for me how I could utilize this gift that I feel like God has given me? He might have some ideas for you. What if you surround yourself with friends who serve? Like if you surround yourself with friends who play chess, what do you tend to do? Play chess. If you surround yourselves with friends who quilt, what do you tend to do? You quilt. If you surround yourself with friends who are really actively involved in serving, what do you tend to do? Serve? That, to me, is the pickaxe principle. You know, the, after I cried that night, you know, went to sleep, woke up in the morning, I actually, for the first time in my life, went to my youth pastor, Steve, and said, Steve, is there anything I can do for the children at this children's home? And he said, well, there's a garbage pit that they need to have dug. I mean, they don't really have a place to burn their garbage. I'm, I'm your man. So he gave me this pit thing called a pickaxe. Now, being from the Silicon Valley, I'd never held one of these before. <laughs> we always hired people to do that. So he gave me this thing on a pickaxe, gave my friend Alan a shovel, and we went, and he showed us where to dig um, for this uh, um, garbage pit. 
And we started to dig. I started swinging this pickaxe. And one thing I found out about that part of Mexico, uh, there isn't much dirt there. It's pretty much all rock. So here I am like, yeah, ding, <laughs> ding, ding. My friend's shovel not going in. But we started to sing while we were working. We started singing all of the youth group songs that we could think of. And, and then we started singing all of the songs from church that we could remember So while we're singing, other youth group people are coming over. You know how they are. What are you doing? And I was like, we're digging a garbage pit for Jesus. Do you want to join us? Yeah, sure. So other people got pickaxes. Other people got shovels. And they came over and we're singing more worship songs. We're worshiping God and we're working. And then we ran out of all those songs. We start singing, I've been working on the railroad, you know, all that stuff. And we dug and we dug for about eight hours. And we got about this far. But you know what was great? It wasn't how far we got. It was that for the first time in my life, I served with the right motivation. And God got me on fire that day to serve him with all my heart because of how great and amazing and majestic and forgiving and loving he is. I'd like for us to pray. And what I'd like for us to pray, as close your eyes, I'd like you to listen to these words of Scripture. And allow these words of scripture to inspire you to service. Who knows the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to give him advice? Who has given him so much that he needs to pay it back? For from him and through him and to him is glory forever and ever. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. And to him who is able to keep you from falling and to make you stand in the presence of God's glory, rejoicing without any blemishes to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory and majesty and power and authority before all time and now and forever and ever. Amen.